It's not easy going through life chained, as you can imagine. At some point in our lives, every single one of us has known without a shadow of a doubt that God had something special in mind for us, that God had a plan for our lives. The unfortunate reality is, is though, that life has a way of wrapping chains around us. Sometimes our chains are obvious. There are things that chain us that really aren't our fault, but they seem to just happen anyway. Maybe the thing that chains you from following God's will is a medical problem. It's kept you from being the person you feel that you're called to be. And doctors can't seem to help, and it doesn't seem to be going away at the right time. For others, it might be the economy we find ourselves in. Maybe you don't have a job, or maybe you don't have the right job, and it always seems like there's never enough money to go around. Maybe the thing that chains you up is some of the things going on with your family. You have children or loved ones who don't know Christ, and it makes you feel like your family's not complete. There are others times when our chains are things that we've done to wrap chains around ourselves. Maybe there's a sin in your life that you can't seem to get rid of. You try to take it off, but no matter how hard you try, it seems to be wrapped around other chains, and you've asked God to forgive you time and time again, but you keep going back. And nobody knows about it except you and God, and that feels weighty enough, and you want to get help, but you feel like you can't tell anybody because then they'll know who you really are. Sometimes our chains are things that we can't see, but they're slowly forming. All of us have seen people who live their lives apart from God. And I'll be honest, living your life apart from God at first, it can, it can be a lot of fun. The problem is, is that as you do that, as you continually walk away from God, your chains are slowly but surely formed. I think of it like a small child who found a way to steal his parents' keys. He gets in the car thinking, taking control of his own destiny, taking control of the wheel is going to be a great thing. And at first it is fun for a little child to be behind the wheel of a car. But as you can imagine, a child who does something like that would be in a lot of danger. And when we take our lives into our own hands, we will find out that our lives become chained very quickly. Just like the Israelites did. Just like the people of God. The year was 597 B.C. And the Israelites, the people who were followers of God who lived in Judah, faced the worst thing they could imagine. The king of Babylon, known as Nebuchadnezzar, came in and besieged Judah and where the God's people lived. And the rulers knew they were outnumbered. The king Jehoiachin and all of his, all of his noblemen, all of his soldiers decided to surrender. And they came in and they put people in chains. They carried 10,000 people off to Babylon as prisoners. They robbed the temple of God, and the nation started to crumble and crumble quick. And people wanted to blame God, even though the truth was that the reason God allowed this destruction, this hard time to happen in their lives, was because of their own sin. For years, the people of God had pursued their own path. They had become a people of idolatry, a people of promiscuity, and a people who had their hearts completely turned against God. And God had warned them time and time again But no matter how many chains kept coming around them, they refused to acknowledge God. And as a result, they paid the consequences. And they found themselves, 10,000 people were exiled to Babylon. And in this land, when they were wrapped with chains, some people began to give up hope. If God has allowed my life to turn out like this, then thee must not have a plan. 
Other people said, well, you know what? Let's start making our own plans. We're pretty smart. We can figure things out on our own. And we'll just kind of put God's stamp of approval on our own plans instead of asking him what to do. It's in this context that Jeremiah wrote a letter to the exiles. And it's in that letter I want to read to you today and maybe see if we can find a way of living life unchained. So turn with me to Jeremiah 29, if you can. Chapter 29 in Jeremiah, verses 11 through 14. Jeremiah 29, verses 11 through 14. I'll begin reading in verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. The very first verse of our passage that we just read, to these people who were in chains, God said, For I know the plans I have for you. Now, if you were to look at this in the original text, that word plans is emphasized very strongly. It appears twice. It actually literally says, I know the plans that I have planned for you. But what I think is even cooler, that that word there, if you, we'll go ahead and learn a new word today. Say it with me. The word there for plans is chashav. Say that with me on the count of three, chashav. You've got to spit on your neighbor's head, um, but it's okay. Um, we're, all, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Say it with me on three. One, two, three, Chashav. There you go. You guys are good. Man. That word, they translated as plans. Other, other translations sometimes say thoughts, but a good way to translate that word is something that is valuable or worthwhile. It's almost, a, it's a very good translation of this passage would be, I know the value that I have placed on you. I have in my pocket here, for a youth pastor, this isn't a common occurrence, $20. And I have $20 in my hand, and this is not a trick question. I need somebody to shout out, how much is this $20 bill worth? $20, awesome, or two gallons of gas. But we'll go with the literal meaning. Now, I'm going to take this bill, and I'm going to rip it at a couple corners. Some people are screaming, it's a horrible thing what happens to us as we go through life, I know. Some of you are like, just give it to me, just give it to me. We pay this pastor too much. So I've ripped it in all the corners, And just kind of frayed it. Andrew Jackson is very upset with me. Now, how much is this bill worth now that I've ripped it? $20. After all this bill's been through, it's still worth $20. Okay, I'm going to crumple it up into a ball. And I'm going to throw it on the ground. And I'm going to step on it. I'm going to kind of smush it around the ground. And it's still in peace, but it's beat up. It's broken. And I guarantee you that bill does not have a very good self-esteem right now. I promise. It thought it was worth $20. But now that I've stepped on it, squashed it, beaten it up, now that I have enchained it through my anger, okay, towards it, how much is that bill worth? So we can be beaten up. We can be broken. We can make every mistake there is, and God still values you. 
the Israelites had spent hundreds of years running away from God. They had gotten as far from God as they thought they could. They ran and they ran and they ran. And Jeremiah comes along, taps their shoulder and says, By the way, you are still valued in God's sight. Once in a while I get to teach you Sunday school, which is like my favorite thing to do, but usually, you know, it's my job to help teachers teach you Sunday school and, and to recruit, so I don't teach every Sunday school. But one morning I got to do it, and at the end of the Sunday school, I had a response card for, for, the, for some of the kids who, for all the kids who were in that class, and the response card just said, where are you at with God right now? And it had a bunch of different options. The option that was circled more than anything else was this, I feel guilty about my life and my faith towards God. I feel guilty. Now, some people should feel guilty. If you sin, you should feel guilty about it. But here's the thing. The kids in that class were good kids. I know them about as well as I know anybody. And I know they're doing their best to live for God. But still, they were living in guilt. This passage says, I know the value that I have placed upon you and I have plans for good, not for evil. God is not sitting up in heaven waiting for us to mess up, waiting for us to make a mistake. If we sin, it breaks out his heart, and it does put chains around our lives. But we have to understand that no matter how heavy, no matter how big the chains get, you are valued. Graduates, I want you to know this morning, without a doubt, that you may not be certain about your future. You may not know what your major is supposed to be. You may not know, uh, you may not know what job you're supposed to take. You may not know uh, whether to, or not to go into the military. You may have so many question marks. You may be filled with uncertainty. But God is certain about you. You have a value that cannot be taken, stolen, or diminished in any way. Because your value is in God's eyes. When we start to place our value in things other than God, that's when problems happen. This week as a staff, we were sitting and talking in staff meeting, and we had so many people. Um, we, we noticed that we have so many people in our congregation that are battling depression and anxiety and things like self-injurious behavior like cutting and thoughts of suicide. And i got to be honest with you this morning, that's a struggle that I've faced all throughout different seasons of my life, especially in my teenage years. And it's a complex problem, and I don't want to simplify it today, but I want, if you're struggling with that, I want you to know that your value cannot be taken away. If you find yourself struggling with depression or anxiety, get help. It's available. Talk to a Christian friend who you can trust, who's not going to see you as less of a Christian because you're going through a hard time. Talk to counselors. See doctors. Sometimes medical intervention is needed. But I want you to know, for me, the struggle was always made worse, and oftentimes it began at the point when I started to see myself as worthless. But no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you have worth in God's eyes. The question is, are you going to become all that God knows you can be? And, and the verse says God has plans for us, but what do those plans look like? Well, in the passage it says that God has plans to prosper us, to give us a future and a hope. Now, many of us have this verse memorized. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. But our interpretation of it can very easily kind of go awry and get a little bit skewed. A lot of times we read this verse as a promise of individual prosperity. 
God's will for my life is to give me the American dream. And let's see if I got this right. A big house, white picket fence, 2.5 obedient children, um, two cars in the garage, a chicken in every pot, and, and a big fat retirement account. For some of you, this may be good news. For some of you, this may be bad, but that may not be God's will for all of our lives. God's will is not, God's plans are not to give us everything we want. It's actually more like to give us everything we need. The word for prosperity there is actually, in my opinion, a little bit of an unfortunate translation. I understand why they did it. But really, the word there is a word that many of us are familiar with. It's the word shalom. It means peace or completeness. The idea of having not everything you want, but everything you need. An idea of being at peace and harmony with God, with other people, and with creation. If you're not making enough money, it's still possible you still might be in the center of God's will. If life is beating you up, you still might be in the center of God's will. Our lives on this earth are going to be hard, but the thing is, is that as we realize that God values us, some of the chains start to fall off. And if we can realize that God's plan may not be for us to have everything we want, but to give us what we truly need, well then, other chains start coming off as well, and life's getting easier already. Another thing that's easy to misinterpret this verse is to think of it as speaking directly to God's individual plan for every single one of our lives. And while this verse does that, it's important to realize that this was a message to all 10,000 exiles, that this was a passage to the community. When Jeremiah said, God has a plan for you, although they understood, and rightly so, that God has a plan for each and every single one of our individual lives, they understood that when Jeremiah said the plan of God, he was talking about the whole story of God that we find in Scripture. That big, large story goes like this. God created the world. And we read this in Genesis 1. And in Genesis 1, you find that God has made everything good. And at the center of his creation, he creates man in his image to rule, to reign over the earth in his stead. Man was created to reflect God to the earth. Our primary vocation was to be God to the earth. As we follow God ourselves. But unfortunately, as you know, that got messed up. Adam and Eve, like so many of us, walked away from God. And when that happened, creation, mankind, all the relationships, all the beautiful things started getting scarred and marred. And like our dollar bill, they started getting stepped on and trampled. Still valuable, still worthwhile, but much just not in the condition God created it to be. And so God decided through Abraham to pick a a people that Abraham and his descendants, God would bless them. And through Abraham and his descendants, they would be a blessing to the whole earth. Fast forward hundreds, thousands of years actually, and you get to the Israelites when they're in chains. They had failed to be the people God had called them to be. Instead of being a blessing to the earth, they had become part of the problem because they got stuck in sin like everyone else. And so we know in the New Testament, God sends Jesus Christ to make freedom from sins available. And as followers of Jesus, until Jesus returns, our job, our responsibility, no matter what our vocation is, no matter what God's specific plans for us are, our general plan is to be salt and light to the earth. As Liz so beautifully sang, a city on a hill. Graduates and people of Grace Point, God's specific will is important. It's very important. God cares about what your job is. He cares about who you're married to. He cares about what car to buy, what house to own, where to live, where to send your kids to school. 
all these somewhat little or significant decisions that we make, God cares about those. But before we get that straight, we need to understand the general call to all of us found right here. To be a salt and light to the earth. Think of it this way. The play that we're all a part of, the story is God's. He's working to redeem and rescue this world and humanity. And we are all characters in that play. And some of us are more characters than others. I know what you're thinking. But as characters, it's important to memorize our lines and understand our character. But before we do that, we want to understand what the play is actually about. Let me give you an example. There was a guy that we met on a mission trip to Philadelphia. His name was Donnie. And he owned this place called Donnie's Dogs. And for a dollar from Donnie's Dogs, you could get a hot dog. And it was an amazing hot dog. And for a dollar fifty, you could get a pint, a full pint of lemonade, the best lemonade that you've ever had in your life. So we would feed like 40 kids on this mission trip with 40 bucks, okay? I can't take my wife out to dinner for that much. But Donnie, man, his price was right, all right, as far as I'm concerned. The food was delicious. Now, Donnie made a lot of money. Despite only $1, pretty much everything he sold was a dollar. If 500 people come to you in a day, you can make a pretty good living. That's a lot of money. And he was in the inner city, but he was, his business was very well trafficked. But you know what Donnie did with that money? His occupation was to be a businessman. But he saw that his real call, his real vocation was to be a light. And so he took his money and he hired way more people than he needed to. He would hire people who couldn't get a job anywhere else, buy them nice chef's clothes, and they would cook his lemonade. And he would train them to be a chef so they could work somewhere else someday. He would take girls that couldn't get a job anywhere else, who had been through really hard times, dress them in just these bright outfits, these just amazing professional outfits that would stand out like a sore thumb in the inner city and had them serve people on the street and do sales. Donnie was poor, not because he didn't make a lot of money, but because he pretty much gave everything he had away. There was a couple days when he would just feed all of us for free. And I'm thinking, you don't have money to do this. And he says, I don't, money's really not a thing to me. God always gives it to me when I need it. And Donnie took his time that he had from buying all those workers to mentor young boys in the inner city. He was a coach and mentor to so many and a witness in his neighborhood. He had offers to move, to franchise, to do all the things to get him a big house in the suburbs. But he said, no, I am called to be a light to the earth. So graduates, no matter what God calls you to do, he's calling you to be a light. He's calling you to be a person of integrity. No matter what your job is, we are called to be a light in the earth. So if you're a doctor, awesome. Make sure you're a doctor that shows people the glory of God. If you're a teacher, teach to the best of your ability. But I want you to know that you have more than math, social studies, or any of that stuff to teach. That stuff is important. But people need to know that there's a God in heaven who can save them and heal them. And he uses us to do it. We are the light of the world. So what do I need to do? What's my role to take these chains off? What do I have to do to pull and get these things finally off of me? I had a professor at Mount Vernon that said, so many people preach on Jeremiah 29, 11, but very few of them actually ever talk about verse 12 and 13. And he said, someday when you're a pastor, 
and you preach on Jeremiah 11, make sure you do 12 and 13. So, Dr. Varagis, if you're listening on the internet, this one's for you. Let's read verse 29, or verse 12 and 13 again. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. You see, God has a will and an amazing plan in your life, something bigger and larger than you can ever imagine. But you have to seek him with all of your heart or you will never find it. There was a pastor in my, in my hometown and he was known for being kind of very courageous or stupid in his pastoral counseling, depend on you know who you talk to. And a married couple came into him to talk. They were having problems with their marriage. And after about 15 minutes, the two were yelling at each other, saying everything that was wrong with the other person and why they just needed to give up and how their marriage was a failure and the other person was all at fault. The pastor stopped him and, and said, Hey, um, I, I don't mean to cut you off, but I should have asked this to start with. Um, are you spending time praying and are you spending time in God's word? Just how much time are you spending with God every day? And they, they, after they came over the initial shock of being asked that question, it was a pastor. They didn't really expect him to ask him about their life with God. Um, they just wanted help with their problems. They didn't want to know about God. They said, well, actually, we're not really spending any time with God. And to their credit, they answered honestly. But he just looked at him and said, you know what? Go home, take the next 30 days and fix that. Spend time on your knees and spend time in God's word. And then come back to me if you're still having problems with your marriage. Now, that's maybe, we might say that that's not the best counseling method. And I don't know how the story turned out. But on one level, we have to admit, I think, that he's right. You cannot find God's will if you're not seeking him with all your heart. But what does seeking God with all your heart actually look like? This, you should have noticed this by now, but Pastor Edgar is an amazing musician, right? He might have come to America only with a guitar on his back, but man, he could play that thing well. Now, we would all agree that he's gifted by God, that his talents are not him alone, that his ability to lead worship, his ability to play, it's, it's a, I mean, we would agree that it's a gift by God, but none of us would be naive enough to, to, to say that it didn't take his, his intentional effort over a long period of time. I guarantee you that Pastor Edgar had to say no to things at times because he was practicing music. I guarantee you that there were things in his life that he couldn't do as much of because he was learning the craft that God had called him to. And now when Pastor Edgar gets up here, this, this is all the music he had for this morning. I, I hope I don't get in trouble for showing you the behind-the-scenes look here this morning. That's it. Okay, I need more than if I'm trying to drive, you know, to my next location. That doesn't happen overnight. We see these people in our church like Robin Anglin. We see people in my life like Bruce Kabinsky that are heroes of faith. And we think it just happened overnight. And the truth is it never did. To follow God means being a person of intention. And being a person of intention means saying yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. For our graduates, I just want to mention real quick some of the things that I think you need to be careful to say no to. Be careful to say no to idolatry. Idolatry is putting anything in your life above God. In college, because of the, or if you're getting a job, it is the nature of our world to tell you 
what's important. Grades are important. Getting money is important. And those things are. But if we're not careful, those things can become more important than God. For our young guys and our young ladies, one of the biggest struggles, one of the things you have to say no to and to intentionally seek God with all your heart is in the area of purity. For guys, this is the danger of computers and internet a lot of times. In college, I saw so many guys get trapped because they were in the room all the time working on homework with the internet and nobody else was around. For me, the struggle was avoided because I was a cheapskate and didn't buy my own computer and used the learning labs, which obviously there's really no temptation if you're in a room with 50 people. But for our girls, the temptation might be a little bit different. Ladies, I saw so many women chase after men that just simply weren't worth their time of day. When you go to college, especially if you go to a Christian college, there's going to be guys in the lobby every day. They're going to have a goatee. They're going to play guitar. And they're going to be a couple years older. Don't date those guys. (laughs) But you don't understand him. No, I do understand him all too well. Don't date him. That's why I'm telling you not to date him. Take time. Take a year for guys and girls. Take a year to focus on your studies before you get involved in dating. Because I'm going to be honest, in college, people will lie to you. They will tell you things about themselves that simply aren't true. In about a year, you'll be able to tell who the winners are from the not winners. I, I don't know. You'll be able to tell the kind of person God wants you to marry from the kind of person God wants you to be really nice to from a distance. Other thing, graduates, you need to be intentional about like never before. And all of us here today need to do is be intentional about living out our faith and doing the spiritual disciplines, prayer, scripture reading, and attending church. We seem to sometimes think that most graduates who walk away from their faith do so because they don't believe in God. Actually, what I've seen more often than not is people just kind of slowly but surely just kind of slip away from God because once you leave your parents' house, There's nobody telling you to read your Bible. There's nobody telling you to go to church. There's nobody telling you to pray. We had our graduates make commitments, not because we think they need to earn their salvation, but because we want them to be intentional about pursuing God and seeking him with all their hearts. So maybe today, the thing that's chaining you is that you just haven't been that intentional about your faith. You come to church once in a while, but you're not reading your Bible. You're not spending more than a few seconds praying. The only time you say God's name is when you stub your toe. For you, today might be a chance to let go of your chains and be intentional about seeking God with all of your heart. I'm going to ask our ushers now to hand out chains to everyone. And as these chains come around, I want you to hold it in your hand. And I want you to think of that thing that is keeping you from finding and realizing God's plan in your lives. Maybe for you it's something you have no control over. Maybe your medical situation Maybe your, your finances have you feeling like God can't work in my life. Today I want to give you a chance to give that up. Ushers, go ahead and pass those down. Maybe your situation this morning is that there's a sin that you're holding on to and you need to come this morning and let that go. Or maybe your, your issue is you're not being intentional about your faith. And you need to say, you know what? After today, I'm going to make sure I read my Bible four out of seven times a week, or I'm going to pray 15 minutes a day, or maybe you're going to start making sure you read through the Bible in a year. Whatever your intentional commitment is, maybe today you realize I need to make one. I'm going to make sure my family is here for church and Sunday school, no matter how much fun it is at the lake. 
May today, may you find, look at this chain. See something that is keeping you from seeking God with all your heart. And when you're ready to let that go, I want you to come down here. We have three buckets, one here, one here, and one at this section. And I want you to come down, take your chain, and I want you to drop it in that bucket as a way of telling God that I am ready to follow you with my whole heart. So look at your chain, pray to God. And if you feel led, take that thing that's keeping you from following God with all your heart and throw it in the bucket.